you brought those examples from the corporate world, especially in the technology intensive corporate world and government. And my question is the following. It has to do with cross-domain competency in a sense that if you're a great leader in the military or if you're a great leader in the medical community, are those leadership quality transferable? Will you be a great leader also in a nonprofit philanthropic organization? Or if you're a great leader in government, would you be a great leader in the corporate world? Are these things that are not transferable? Can you think of examples of leaders that actually successfully cross the border between domains and others who did not? I've seen people who moved from a very extreme military environment where they were leading a group of soldiers to becoming great leaders in a company. Not an easy transition by any stretch, but what was common to those people who made that transition successfully is understanding that your power doesn't come from the command and control part of your responsibility. It comes from the ability to inspire people and make them want to follow you and do what you want them to do. That, to me, is what's transferable, the ability to understand the soft skill of leadership, the ability to understand what makes people want to act on your direction and how to give that direction, how to do it in a way that you empower people to decide how to get to the destination, but agree on the destination, but not on how to get there, right? So you empower people to do their work. These are the successful transitions. I would agree with every word that you say, David, but one, and that's the word soft in front of skills. Those, I think, are not soft skills anymore. I know the literature is full of that denomination. I think those have become, even from your stories of the past hour, the essential skills. Mm. They're not like the accessory skills. The other skills may have to do with how you understand the nature of the market and the business, etc. But those skills that you're talking about that are transferable, perhaps, between domain are not soft anymore. They're essential. I agree. I meant soft, not in the sense of important or not. They're more, they're less, uh, you know, I don't know, the framework is less defined in how you make people do that. It's more of a, I don't know. It's just, sure. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the, you know, the point of the word, but that's a tradition in this field. People have been talking about hard skills and soft skills. And I think if we learn anything, that there is an inversion of these two these days. And what we thought were soft skills are more essential skills. The rest is transactional. We need to have a further conversation about this. Yeah. You know, it's true, though, what you're saying, because it, soft skills used to be a nice to have. Oh, that's really great. People like that person or want to follow that person. But now it's a must have. Leaders must have that because that's what, when you're looking at retention and engagement of people, it's the soft skills, the hard skills is what gets people to connect and be their best selves in whatever organization it is. Every leadership book now that's being written if you look at all the books, it's all about lead like family, lead with love, lead with create healing organizations. Leadership is, creates a feeling. Leadership, so all of that, right? Is that's the big shift in the leadership field that we're, and that comes from people writing books about what they're seeing works and gets results. So let's go back to being a leader in the times of COVID. You've talked wonderfully and deeply about your own experiences as well as what you have observed during this acceleration of the transformation of work that we are observing during COVID, there are leaders in our audience today and they would like some advice. They are maybe seasoned leader. 
And they would like from advice about the actions or the behaviors that they should have more of during COVID. You talked about communications earlier. You talked about those things. Could we give them a piece of your mind, their advice and insights to say, hey, emphasize this as opposed to that? Look at it that you are now the consultant of the audience. What would you say to them? So I would say the one piece of advice I would give because people are, okay, number one, it's like, we don't have this all figured out yet. So we're all trying to figure out what's the new normal look like, right? In a kind of a hybrid world of some working at home and working at the office. And the biggest thing I think is really important is letting your people know what does success look like? What are they held accountable for? In my research, I used to ask leaders, what's the number one reason why someone failed on your team? And like 90% of the responses was they weren't clear what their job was. So now that people are working in different places, the clearer we can be as leaders about what the expectations are and what success looks like and what they're held accountable for, and then let them do their job, right? So that piece of it. And then, of course, everything we've been talking about, the second part is the human connection part, which is how do you help people be their best selves, bring their whole self to work? How do we as leaders, you have to uncover first, meaning you have to show up as your authentic self so that your other people can show up authentically. And adding that to the time in your calendar as leaders to get to know your people, whatever that is. And it can be, you can have connected conversations via Zoom or FaceTime. That's not an afterthought. That has to be part of your calendar. If you say, I'm going to try to make time for my people, it'll never happen. But if you schedule it in to your calendar and everyone has to do it in their own authentic way to connect in the way that it works for them. And those are the two pieces of advice I would give. Great piece of advice. I'm going to take them myself. (laughs) (laughs) David, you want to add another piece of advice? Completely agree with everything Betsy said. I would add to that. We all get used to speaking in front of a camera and it was awkward initially, but now we have to agree on what's the proper etiquette for that going forward. A lot of people basically say, you know what, I don't feel like I should turn on my camera. So we've decided at my company that that's okay, but if you speak, turn it on. And the reason for that is the body language says so much. I personally am very good at understanding when a person says something, but then don't really believe in what they said, or they don't agree, I know what to do with that afterwards. I reach out to people and I I make sure that whatever disconnect I saw on the screen. So it's a powerful tool if you know how to use that by reading people's facial impressions or body language for that matter. Another thing that we do at my company is we never hire people at a certain geography. We don't care where they are. Sometimes we don't even care what part of the day they work. Because some of the work that they have to do does not require collaboration. Just as Betsy said, we measure them on KPI. Everything we do can be defined and quantified. And we argue over the definition and the quantification. But once we agree on the set of KPIs, we measure them every quarter. Based on that, people know where they stand. They know what they need to do to improve their performance. And they know what they need to do to get rewarded for meeting their performance. So by doing that, You allow the team to be remote. You allow them to be away from you in a way. But at the same time, you don't lose the control that you need as a manager because you know what criteria you will measure them on. And they know that too. There's no misalignment. There's constant ability to make adjustment based on that dashboard of KPIs. That makes it very, very effective in the new reality we have to manage people remotely. 
These are very good insights. Thank you. I want to conclude perhaps with ask you to do a wild prediction about the future. After all, leaders are known to see perhaps a little further away than the people in their organization. And that's how sometimes they make decisions that may sound a little outlandish. It's only because they try to optimize the future that is or horizon a little further away. So give us a prediction. How do you see leaders or leadership look like in 10 years? Is it going to be significantly different than leadership today? Or is there an evolution? I love the fact, uh, Betsy, that you work, for example, quite a bit with women leaders. And as slowly as we see them, there is still a progressive increase of women leaders at different layers of organizations. Give us a prediction of leadership in 10 years, or if you're there even further away. How does it look like? Is it just like today, or things are going to change? We're making progress, although sometimes it feels slow, you know, with like women in leadership. But I think we're going to see an increasingly diverse workforce that matches our customer base. People are demanding it now. You know, companies just can't just like ignore it because people are also voting with their pocketbooks. And I see in universities, you know, students will look at companies that they want to work for and they say, wait a minute, how many women or people of color do they have on the board in the C-suite? Do they look like me? Is that a place I can succeed in? And so things are moving. And although sometimes it feels so awfully slow, you know, I always say two steps forward, three back, but we are making progress. And I think that's what we'll see 10 years from now. It'll be a dramatic shift. And here's the other thing. In the diversity world, it's diversity, inclusion, and belonging, right? So while, yes, we have diverse availability of workers, inclusive is how does that diverse workforce feel? How do they succeed in our company? And how will we know that it works is when they feel like they belong. And so to go back to the beginning of our conversation, which was the millennial generation is basically shaking up how we think about work. They want to be in places and disease below them the same, wanting to be in places where they can bring their whole selves to work. So I think there's a shift going on, whether we like it or not, whether the older generations, boomers like it or not, it's happening. There's something like 10% of the population is working, I think they're calling it the nomad generation, where they're just moving around the world and working remotely. So all of the shift going on, it's exciting, exciting and scary at the same time. But I think we're going to see driven by the younger generations, a different way to work, but one that is more diverse and integrated. I like the way you analyze that. If you wish a leadership layer that is more reflective of not only the demographics of the organization itself, but the larger demographics as well. That's a very interesting prediction. Mm -hmm. And I don't think the baby boomers are scared about it. At that point, they won't be there anymore. Yeah. David, you want to dare uh, to venture a prediction here? First of all, I agree with everything Betsy said. I will look at this from a different angle. The role of technology, I think, is going to increasingly be more and more important. Daniel, you know that very well, that automation, artificial intelligence, the need to hide and replace human labor when things can be automated, that's going to continue And so that will make the role of leadership change dramatically. First of all, ability to understand what technologies are out there and how to use them effectively for your business will be dramatically important in your ability to compete. What's the role of technology in allowing you to better manage people? That's another thing, you know, 
how do you measure performance will change over time. It's hard for me to predict. I do not believe that there'll be less need for people. I think the role of the people will change because the machine will take over what they do. GM needs more people, even though robots are building cars, they still need people to do other things. So I think the challenge will be for a leader to be able to evolve, understand how the technology evolved and evolve with it, and make sure that you keep up with the tools available there. You select the one that makes the most sense for your use case, for your company. And based on that, you hire the right people and you manage them using those technology tools. I like your prophecy. It's interesting, this notion of technology is almost like a meme. Yes, technology will change us, but I think intelligent technology is going to change the role of leadership. I haven't figured that out yet, but as you know, the first guest in that series of the podcast was actually an artificial intelligence called Charlie that we developed. And Charlie is actually the word, the first employee and the designers of Charlie insisted that she had the title of employee. Now, you can look at it as a gimmick or you can look at it as a way by which leaders of the future should be able to manage different kinds of intelligences as part of their workforce. And location will be even more irrelevant because it doesn't matter where that artificial intelligence resides or is. But it's certainly a future between this and between almost like a democratization of the C-suite and the leadership layer by having a more diverse more belonging, as you said, Betsy, workforce. I think it's a very bright future. I'm personally excited about imagining what leadership will mean for the future. 